Hi, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. Hello. The format of this podcast is different than my usual format in that usually I'm interviewing a guest, but in this episode, I'm the guest. In spring 2021, I led a three-part home detox workshop series for a lovely community called Everwell, which was co-founded by Abby Knott and Lindsay Hurdy. In this episode, you'll hear Abby interview me, but you'll learn more about Everwell from Abby and Lindsay in an upcoming podcast. For this episode, I wanted to just focus your attention on why it's important to think about your home environment, your indoor air, dust, sleep quality, hands, and water quality. Through this episode and the next two, we're going to dive into that. Now, here's my introduction for why I think it's as important for you to think about the health of your home as it is for you to think about healthy eating and regular exercise. Sophia, welcome. Your personal journey has gotten you here. And one of the things that I love about you is that you are both inspirational and relatable. Do you mind kicking us off by telling us your story and how you've come to the place where you are in your work. I'd be happy to. So thank you for spending the next hour with me. The reason I'm with you today is because of a journey that started in 2007. My husband and I were living in New York City and I felt like I was at the height of my career because I saw smooth sailing to my dream job of buying distressed debt for a really good price adding lots of value and selling it for a big profit. At the same time in 2007, I became a mom in August, 2007. I gave birth to my first daughter and I saw no reason why I couldn't do both, be the best mom I could be to my daughter and thrive at my dream job. Then one night stands out as the unraveling of that dream. It was soon after I returned to work after a three month maternity leave and I was flipping through a book by a pediatrician. And I read that BPA, a hormone disrupting chemical, is in some baby bottles. And nitrosamines, a cancer causing chemical, is in some baby bottle nipples. This first experience of learning that I inadvertently posed risk to my infant because of what I bought was the first of too many more. And these kinds of experiences led me to study the chemicals, heavy metals, and electromagnetic fields from what I buy, own, and do over the next 13 years. Frequently, I thought, why can't someone just tell me what I need to do and know? But I never found that resource. So I have been trying to be that resource for others. Learning about this has been unimaginably hard. Whenever I thought about quitting my research to have an easier life, I couldn't. As I thought about how to explain why in the time we have, I asked myself, what's the number one aha moment that stands out among hundreds? And the number one aha moment relates to our body burden. Body burden is a term that refers to the level of chemicals found in our body. 
I was shocked to learn there were chemicals in our bodies. I was further shocked when I learned that the US Centers for Disease Control has been monitoring over 300 environmental chemicals that have been found in our body. I thought it was interesting that body burdens in North Americans were found to be at least 10 times higher than those in Europeans. Women tend to have higher body burdens than men. Children can have a higher body burden than adults. But the one thing that fueled my hard work was this. In 2005, this is hard to hear. In 2005, the American Red Cross collected and examined umbilical cord blood from 10 American babies. Of the 287 chemicals found, too many pose risks. These chemicals are commonly found in fast food packaging, pesticides, and chemicals used on clothing and textiles. I first read this when I had an infant and continued to learn many more things like this when pregnant and nursing. So learning about these really disturbing things as a mother to young kids fueled my passion and is one of the many studies that motivated me to pursue my path as a social venture. So I just wanna pause and help soften what I just said because that was really jarring. It took me many years to learn this, but what I wish I knew sooner is that just because you're exposed to something harmful doesn't mean that it will necessarily cause harm. For example, exposure to a cancer-causing chemical does not necessarily cause cancer. It just increases your chances of developing cancer. So while we have unique vulnerabilities, our bodies are generally brilliantly equipped to address them. And our toxic exposures is just one of many factors that influence our health outcomes, but it is an overlooked pillar of health. So integrating it into your life can unleash benefits from the other healthy efforts you pursue. However, my concern is how overloaded our bodies are because thousands of new chemicals have been introduced each year. Since World War II, more than 84,000 chemicals have been introduced into American commerce. The EPA has required safety testing for just over 200. And in 2015, when I published A to Z of detoxing, I don't think the numbers have changed. The government regulated less than a dozen. So I focus on the easy things we can do to get further away from a tipping point. I saw that with the right information, there are many opportunities to optimize our body's resiliency. And I share many tips in my first book, A to Z of Detoxing, my workbooks, my newsletter, and my podcast. But I want to circle back to BPA to use that as an example of how empowering it can be to learn more. So BPA is a hormone-disrupting chemical that was used widely and was often found in plastic food and beverage containers and canned foods. So it's not surprising that it's been found in more than 90% of Americans. Studies associated with breast cancer, obesity, cardiovascular disease, precocious puberty, and more. But BPA can leave our body in about five hours. And there are other chemicals that are flushed out too. So if we reduce our exposures, then we are more likely to reduce our body burden. Another example of this idea is there was a study of people who ate a 100% organic diet for six days. And four classes of pesticides that were studied 
were reduced by an average of 60%. So I hope that helps empower you to lean in and not be afraid. Those are examples of why any little thing you can do can help. And when it's inconvenient because you're going through a really busy time or you just don't have the bandwidth for whatever reason, don't worry about it. Do what you have to do. Don't feel guilty because stress and anxiety are also really important. But when, when you can learn about one thing to do, then it's worthwhile and take the time to make it into a habit, which takes time. I was often surprised that the best solution for this highly complex topic were often surprisingly simple. They include many ways from the pre-industrial revolution. And for my family, integrating some old fashioned approaches into our modern lifestyle has really grounded and balanced our life. It's promoted social emotional benefits like more meaningful connections and more restorative downtime. For example, my house rules regarding technology not only reduce my family's EMF exposures, but it also provides social emotional benefits and great conversations with the kids about healthy technology habits. And I'm far from perfect about enforcing these house rules, but I hope that our conversations will help my children be interested in this overlooked pillar of health and be more mindful, especially when they are adults. Today, after all that I've learned, my practical, non-toxic lifestyle feels intuitive. I feel like I can rely on informed common sense and listen to when certain symptoms and senses are triggered by a toxic exposure. And I'll talk about that more in the next event. But last night, I asked my children, how is having a mom who cares so much about chemicals and EMS? Is it challenging? My 13-year-old said, well, I don't know a different way. It's no big deal because you just talk about one thing at a time. And later you point out something else you want us to do. My 11-year-old said, I like it. I feel safer and more comfortable because you know so much about how to be healthy. My eight-year-old said, I love it and gave me a big hug. And I asked my husband who was standing there, what's it like for you? <laughs> And he smirked and he looked like he was being very careful with his words. And I said, no, be honest. And all he said is, I like that our daughters will be so informed about how to be healthy. So I hope that you get a sense of why it felt so passionate. It was really a matter of the stage in life I was at with my family, learning really upsetting information. And I just thought it shouldn't be so hard for other people who want to know. Thank you, Sophia. And I know we're going to dig in more into detail about actions that we can begin to take on our own personal home detox journey. But before we get there, I just want to back up one second. So it's one thing to adopt this lifestyle, right? And it's another thing entirely to teach and publish work on a lifestyle and mindset. Why have you gone down the path of teaching, not just your children, but the world? Well, once I realized there's only so much I can do on my own because I need the whole world to care. I've spoken to nonprofits who are working hard to strengthen laws to protect us from toxic chemicals. And one time many years ago, when it looked like we were on the verge of making progress with strengthening laws, 
She said, at this point, we've never had more bipartisan support. The biggest obstacle is the apathy of the American public. And I just saw an opportunity for me to create bridges among gaps I found between the scientific community, the medical community, the political community, and the public. It was important to me that the first book be really responsible, be science-based, cite the sources, because I know most doctors are not trained on this. And it would help a patient who is concerned to share this book. And the doctor can just flip through it and see that there are a lot of very credible sources that are concerned and recommend a precautionary approach. For my children's future, they will inherit the choices we make today. So I'm trying to do what I can. And I also want to point out that we actually have a lot of purchasing power. So back to BPA, the FDA is the regulatory agency that could have banned BPA from children's products. There was a lawsuit filed against them to force them to respond to updated science. It was filed by the Natural Resources Defense Council. And the FDA just ignored the petition, continued to claim it was safe. But retailers actually made changes because of consumer demand. So for example, Walmart and Toys R Us are two retailers in 2008 who began phasing out BPA from baby bottles, sippy cups, and other children's items. And then by the end of the next year, by the end of 2009, the six leading makers of baby bottles in the U.S. went BPA-free. I think a faster way to create change is by voting with our dollars and telling companies what we want. It really can transform lives. We talked earlier that BPA can be flushed out. But also, if you think about a birth control pill, it's a version of like, if you can imagine a swimming pool and dropping one drop of water in that swimming pool, less than one half of that drop of water can prevent reproduction. You know, leading researcher of BPA, which also you can look at as representative of other hormone disrupting chemicals, but a leading researcher of BPA found that as little as one twentieth of like one part per trillion, which is like a tiny, tiny amount. It's like that drop of water in a swimming pool, but a thousand times smaller. That can alter development in the womb. And so that's why doing what you can, one change at a time, over a lifetime, it just increases your luck. Thank you. So with that in mind, shifting into actions that we can take, you know, let's be real, life is hard in the age of a pandemic. Um, it's hard to imagine eliminating aspects of our lives that might make life easy or consistent. And getting really real, we all thought it was hard to make changes before the pandemic. How can we approach home detoxing in a simple and inexpensive way? I'm so excited to share how it's really become a mindfulness practice for me. I'm going to focus on how to avoid BPA. And even though there are BPA-free products, scientists have found that those products are not necessarily safer. So the tips I'm going to talk about will actually help you avoid a lot of other hormone disrupting chemicals and other harmful things. But it's actually never been a better time than now during a pandemic when we're more home than ever to make some changes. 
Maybe I'll just zip through some more of what you'll decrease the risks of. So maybe you'll be extra motivated to do these tips, which are really easy. BPA has been found to contribute to cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes, ADHD, male sexual dysfunction, adverse male and female reproductive outcomes, immune system issues, and cancer. So now we're going to talk about what you can do to cut your risks from all of that. So one primary source of BPA and other hormone disrupting chemicals are from food and beverages. If you're not already, avoid plastic food and beverage containers, prepackaged foods because of the plastic wrapping and other kinds of wrapping materials, and canned foods. And what I suggest is don't just decide, I got to get rid of it all. Just notice how often you use it. And then as you notice, you'll organically want to swap out the plastic for glass and stainless steel food and beverage containers. And over time, you'll just integrate that practice more and more. So of course, the more you can do homemade meals and store them in the glass and stainless steel food containers, the more you cut down many other exposures, but I, I would love to do that. I generally do that once a week during this pandemic. And I just don't worry about the other times because we're all just trying to survive now. If you have plastics, because I did everything I could to avoid them, but sometimes like if you're running a marathon, <laughs> you need to drink water from the plastic bottle. It's better to hydrate than to not drink from a plastic bottle. So just know that over your lifetime, reduce your exposures, but you can't avoid it completely. Just remember to not heat them because heat can facilitate the leaching of chemicals into the food or the drinks. It can be heated from the dishwasher and just normal wear and tear. And if you see scratches in the plastic, then that also will more likely leach chemicals into your food and plastic. And also if you have disposable plastic, like from a restaurant and it was designed to be disposed of, then don't keep that and reuse it. Something that made me really excited was learning that studies found that eating more green leafy vegetables and soy products or other legumes can completely block BPA damage even in the face of significant exposure. So spinach, soy protein, the scientists found that eating soy foods regularly as like anyone would do, not an obscene amount, was helpful in blocking the BPA damage. And throughout all that I researched, which is in my book, A to Z of Detoxing, time and time again, the best solutions were things like this. Eat a more plant-based diet, make homemade meals and snacks when you can, avoid plastics and really simple things like that. That research is still preliminary, but I thought that was really exciting. Moving on to self-care and technology. During your morning and evening routines, just notice all the plastic that you encounter. So in your morning routine, when you're in the shower, just pay attention to all the plastic bottles for shampoos, body wash, conditioners, and just ask yourself, do I love it? Do I need it? And I call that the love test. If you love it or need it, don't worry about it. There are plenty of other things you won't miss. 
with the things you don't love or need, you can just phase it out of your life if you don't want to waste it and just use it and don't buy it again. And just be really thoughtful when you're buying. Do I really need it? Do I really want it? And over time, you can replace products with healthier ones with the Environmental Working Group. They have really wonderful databases for personal care products, beauty products, cleaning products, and they have hazard scores so you can research safer replacements. With technology, if you have a home office or now we have family members spread throughout the home, just pay attention to the plastics. And that can be in the form of computers and a lot of different cable cords. There's so much we don't need. It's helpful to edit out what you don't love or need because those plastic electronics do release toxic chemicals into the house dust. So prioritize vacuuming and fighting the dust in areas with lots of technology. I try and have the family consolidate technology at the end of the day. Sometimes I'm great with it. And most of the time, I don't have the energy to to follow up on that. But I view this as similar to the expectation that I will be trying to train my children to hang up their coats when they get home from school, probably until their 20s. And it's the same thing with the technology habits. I'm not being really strict. I'm not expecting them to change now. I'm just hoping that over their lifetime, they'll remember these things. Another thing that is simple and high impact is paper. So studies have found that certain kinds of paper, like receipts, are coated with BPA. Even though BPA might be banned from that, again, we don't know if the substitute chemicals are any better. We have a track record in this country of substitute chemicals being not safer. I just look for anything that looks shiny or glossy. That's usually a signal that there are toxic chemicals. So again, just minimize your exposure to it. Just take the time to just notice. Just notice all the shiny, glossy surface areas you'll see. Sometimes it's the inner layer of a pizza box. But other examples are ATM slips, gas station receipts, movie tickets, airline tickets, shipping labels, prescription drug labels. So if you don't need the receipt, don't accept it. If you need it, can you wear gloves? Easy in the winter, doesn't make sense in the summer. So after handling them, wash your hands as soon as you can. One thing I found so interesting was that one study found that when people used a hand sanitizer and then handled BPA-coated paper, the amount of BPA they absorbed through the skin increased a lot. So those are simple tips I think everyone can pursue. And I really recommend just noticing how prevalent these things are. And over time, you'll organically want to make the changes, but really just like be kind to yourself and not expect to do everything all at once. Thank you, Sophia. So let's say there is someone here who's beginning to feel empowered to make some of these, you know, observing and starting to make some of these changes at home. And she can even articulate why she wants to make the changes and she's armed with a few concrete steps. And now she goes to talk to her partner or her roommate or best friend or kids who are old enough to understand and the response is underwhelming or critical. 
like I've grown up with these products and I'm fine, or this is just going to cost us more money. Do you have any concrete tools for talking to the other decision makers in our personal lives to move through this obstacle and maintaining that motivation to make the changes? So my approach, which has worked really well for me, is to not expect anyone to change. You can't change anyone who doesn't want to be changed. And one thing that really helped me was a conversation I had with a former dean of the Brown University School of Public Health. Her name is Bess Marcus, and she's telling me about her background. She did lots of research on the health hazards of cigarette smoking, and in the 70s was talking to physicians to inform physicians on how to get their patients to quit smoking. After a while, the doctors were so demoralized and said, I keep telling my patients to stop smoking and it increases the risks of all these things and no one's listening, so why should I even try? And she said, no, you have to keep trying because the research shows that people have to hear a message at least seven times before they'll change. And that helped me so much because I probably would get frustrated after telling someone three times, but that kind of generalization of just human behavior really helped me relax. And I promise you, if you just focus on you and what you can do and what you can do at a pace that's comfortable, the people around you will change. You know, at my detox Academy and through my podcast, I really try and have conversations around this. And I share all the things I think are so fascinating. With my children, whenever there's a natural opportunity, I just explain what I'm asking them to do. So it's really about the conversations you have. Over time, those around you will be inspired to make changes when they're ready. Oh, and another important thing. You have to embrace imperfection. I know all about that. <laughs> Thank you. And speaking of maintaining the motivation to make these changes, can you tell us a bit about your home detox workbook, the checklist to eliminate toxic chemicals? As I mentioned earlier, later this month, we'll be kicking off a two-part workshop that you'll be leading around the workbook. What motivated you to create this workbook and what can participants expect to achieve? I designed it to help me with my lifestyle. There's so many notes and things I want to track for many categories, cleaning, self-care, interior furnishings, EMFs. And I thought these workbooks would help me organize my notes. I love checklists. I use checklists every day, not only because it helps me orient my efforts and give me a roadmap, but it also at the end of the day allows me to look at all that I accomplished. Because for a long time, I go to bed feeling like, oh, I didn't get to this, this or that. It was so depressing. After a while, I thought, no, but like, I've done so much. And so now every morning I'll make a checklist. So at the end of the day, I can feel good about everything I did. And since this lifestyle, this approach, it's going to be nonlinear, it's going to be imperfect. You're going to go through stretches of time where you're like eating really badly because you're just too busy. You're just too tired. I thought it would be nice if during those moments when you're maybe feeling bad about yourself, you get to flip through the workbook 
which has all these checklists that you should check off when you do something and feel good about all that you've done. And over a lifetime, you can just look back and look at how much progress you've made. So it's meant to help you feel successful. And even though I I worked really hard to make these super simple, they still benefit from conversations. So over the next two events, we'll have a lot more conversations to help people appreciate the benefits of doing the things on the checklist. But the conversations over the next two events will also help set you on a good path for you to develop informed common sense so you can trust your intuition and your senses And we're going to approach this as an elimination diet. And you'll learn about common symptoms and health outcomes that have been associated with something called sick building syndrome, which the EPA has a lot of literature on. And you can just notice over time, I'll give you an example. I spent years cutting out fragrance. It actually took me like a full year to feel like, okay, I think I found everything in the home that has fragrance. And still over the years, I like would find more things because it's shocking how pervasive it is. But I didn't notice any benefits. I didn't notice that I felt different. But then when I was on an airplane, years after, because I was like, I had all these infants at the time. And I was sitting by the bathroom. And every time the bathroom door would open, I would feel nauseous, my nose would get stuffy, my eyes would get itchy. And I thought, this is how I used to feel all the time. And then I'd go back to my real life and those symptoms would go away. And then if I were at a hotel, the cleaning products in the hotel would trigger those symptoms. And it was this elimination of the fragrance in my home and then the re-exposure out in the world that taught me what my senses and symptoms are triggered by. So that's why this can be intuitive. It's not perfect, but it really helps make this much easier. I'll talk about how this is a mindfulness practice. So it's not stressful. It's actually really soothing. I'm so fascinated by the science and why I recommend what I do that I just find that it brings me in the moment. And I'm just fascinated by the chemistry and biology of what's going on in the moment. So those are a few things you can look forward to and just managing your expectations so that it feels really sustainable and not overwhelming. Thank you, Sophia. We're going to open it up to questions now. We have some great questions here. Speaking of like little things though, that I remember years ago reading in your book about electric magnetic fields. And one small change that I have made since reading that is just putting my phone on airplane mode and not even realizing when I sleep at night that my phone is next to me. Even just that one thing feels so empowering. I wonder if you have like one or two more little tips besides that when it comes to electromagnetic fields that you can share. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's probably the number, if I had to pick one thing that I'm working on with my family, it's using airplane mode when they don't need the wireless connection. And we're having great conversations about it. And my eight-year-old loves catching my husband's phone, not on airplane mode. (laughs) But again, I'm just hoping when they go to college and beyond that they're just mindful and it's not stressful for them. 
But another simple tip is I was shocked that even my laptop, when it's closed, no one's using it, emits radiation because I didn't turn the wireless off. Like children maybe sometimes have a lot of wireless technology in their bedroom because no one really thinks about it. But if it's not on airplane mode, all those wireless devices are emitting, rather than radiation, I just like to call it energy. And so just looking at your wireless devices and noticing how many of them use wireless communication, ask yourself, when I won't miss the wireless connection, you know, is it a big deal if I turn the Wi-Fi or cellular off? You could spend years working on that. Thank you. Now, shifting back, we have a few water questions. Shifting back to the BPA and the water bottles. Alan asks, is there a reusable water bottle brand that you recommend? You have any recommendations? Well, I use stainless steel. Clean Canteen is one I have a lot from. Just because 13 years ago when I was researching it, that seemed like the best option. So I'm not updated on the best ones now. There are a lot of really great glass water bottles, but those are my top choices. And if you have to drink from plastic, then you can look online, but I'm not as familiar because I haven't looked into plastic water bottles that are safer. I love this Life Factory glass bottle, but it has a plastic lid, which I'm now realizing. <laughs> so like one thing you can do, because lids are not perfect, like for food containers and, and things. What's really great is when you fill up a container, whether it's the water bottle or a glass container for leftover dinner, just try and not fill the food up to the lid. So the liquid or the food is not in contact with the plastic. And that's a really practical way to reduce exposures. Thank you. That's a great recommendation. And Julie also shared that she loves swell bottles. Jenny asked, isn't it also the amount of time that water is sitting in the plastic? So for example, a bottle of water you buy in plastic versus a plastic cup that you completely drink within moments of the water going into the cup. Is that correct? That is true. So the longer plastic is in contact with a food or beverage, the more the chemicals just keep leaching into that. Mm -hmm. Scientists have found that to be true. So if, yeah, you're drinking from a plastic cup, the water's been in the plastic cup for a short amount of time, that's really not a big deal. Good to know. And is there, are there, B, is there BPA in magazine covers? I haven't read so, but I would guess so. And if it's not BPA, it's something like BPA. It's something that you rather not have absorbed into your skin. So just like wash your hands after. Hmm. Do you have any recommendations on baby bottles or nipples that are BPA free? So I, again, it was like 13 years ago that I bought all these glass baby bottles. Maybe they're better ones, but I was very happy with the even flow glass baby bottles. They were really inexpensive. We still have many of them around and use them like when the children were toddlers. And even now they'll use them as like cups <laughs> and I'll use some of them as like vases and it's really sweet to actually still use them. Mm -hmm. Regarding nipples, I can't even believe how much time I've spent on this. <laughs> but 
But uh, 13 years ago, when I was trying to figure out what should the, you know, what are safer baby bottle nipples, I had to learn a lot about rubber and silicone and natural latex. And I couldn't believe how complicated these things are. Back then, the recommendation was medical grade silicone. And I think it's probably still the safest thing you can use. And 13 years ago, I did find nipples made out of medical grade silicone. Now I've been trying to find lids for glass containers that are made out of medical grade silicone. And I can't, I can't find any silicone lids. It's all plastic now. So I mean, it's another thing to keep in mind is formulas change all the time with companies and products. The ideal material is the medical grade silicone. The second best would be food grade silicone. Okay. And Julie is asking, are BPA baby bottles bad? Do they use an untested plastic alternative for BPA free items? So it's hard to know. There are many different ways to create plastic. Just like think about all the different ways to create a chocolate chip cookie. Like some of them are actually healthy. Like the paleo recipes are healthy. And then there's some really unhealthy chocolate chip cookies because it uses white sugar or corn syrup and other unhealthy things. It's the same idea with plastic. Some plastics can be safe and some are really not safe. But an average consumer, it's really hard to know. Scientists have tried to understand this. Manufacturers are not required to disclose their formulas. It's protected under this clause called confidential business information. So scientists do the best they can, but they don't have full information. BPA products have been found to create at least as much hormone disruption and sometimes more. So again, some are safe, some are not, but it's just hard to know. Wow. So on the the silicone topic, um, what is your feeling on silicone baking mats versus parchment paper versus aluminum foil? I actually have been spending a lot of time on this because my children are really into baking now. Ideally, I rather things touch just unbleached parchment paper, but you know, this sort of falls under the love test. It brings my children so much joy to bake. And so I ended up choosing silicone molds and other things made of silicone. I feel like inherently it's not safe, but right now there's no reason to believe it isn't. But this is our pattern with all these products. With new formulas, there's no, there have been no studies. So there's no track record of it being harmful. No one's looked. And over time, it takes a long time to really learn that something's harmful. There are many examples of this in our country. So I let go of the silicone molds. I think they're probably toxic chemicals, but I'm not going to worry about it because it brings a lot of joy. And aluminum, I rather not use. I try and get them to bake in glass and I've looked for stainless steel and that's not perfect either. There's no perfect solution. Thank you. So shifting into hand sanitizer and surface cleaners, what do you use for hand sanitizer, which feels so important right now, and surface cleaners for now and all winters, obviously going forward? 
So I use hand sanitizers when I think it's really worthwhile. Over the past year, we've spent most of our time at home or near a sink. So as much as I can, I really just have the children have their go-to thing be wash your hands. I forget who, if it was the EPA or the CDC, they said that was just as effective. But if they're out and they can't wash their hands, then hand sanitizer is a great thing to do with COVID around. During this time, it's more important that you use hand sanitizer. And when you can wash your hands, do so. When you can't, just use hand sanitizer and try and not be too worried about it. But maybe as soon as you get to a sink, just wash your hands. And on that topic, you talk in your workbook about detoxing your hands. And do you have a favorite type of soap that you use that has fewer risky ingredients? I love soaps and detergents by Dr. Bronner's. Dr. Bronner's has different formulas. There's like one called Baby Mile, there's Peppermint, there's Rose, there's Citrus. And if you look at the hazard ratings on the Environmental Working Group, they're actually not all as equally non-toxic. That's why I wanted the workbooks, because when I'm shopping, I want to remember which one is better. But when I was nursing and being ultra conservative, I used Baby Miles for washing my hair, which was always up in a bun, so I didn't care how it looked. It's not that attractive for your hair. My body, my, I still use the bar soap for my face, and my dermatologist said, I wouldn't change anything. Your, your skin looks fine. And the liquid soap, we refill glass dispensers at the sink. So we wash our dishes and you can actually make laundry detergent with it. You can use it to create so many recipes. I love that the way I clean, it really reduced the number of products I have. I used to have something for the toilet, something for the glass, something for the windows. And now I clean with like five ingredients. I buy in bulk. It just streamlines what I buy, what I have to store and organize. It just takes training on how to use them. I have a really nice cleaning detox cheat sheet. You can download it for free. It shares a lot more details about how I clean. Thank you. I can't wait to read it. (laughs) Shelly also shared the laundress has good glass bottles. And their products are awesome too. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Are there any brands that claim to be safe that are not safe? There's so many. And really the best way to look is to go on the environmental working group and you'll see. But the idea is one company can create a really great non-toxic product, but the alternatives that have maybe different scents or have different goals they can be toxic. So it actually, the more you dive into this, the more complicated it is to navigate the labels and the greenwashing. Just because a label says it's non-toxic or, or organic doesn't mean that it's necessarily safe. Wow. <laughs> and any thoughts on sunscreen? Again, the Environmental Working Group has a great section and database on sunscreens. Sunscreens are complicated. There are certain ingredients to avoid. Generally speaking, some easy things to remember are I avoid spray sunscreen because when it's in the air, then people around can inhale it. 
And that can be a faster way of getting ingredients into your bloodstream and it travels around. Thank you, Sophia. And then one last question in terms of fragrance. You know, there are so many reasons to avoid fragrance. Is there an alternative to fragrance that you recommend? So for a long time, I've been using essential oils to satisfy my desire for scents. You know, I heard a podcast with Henry Rose. It's a fragrance line founded by Michelle Pfeiffer. And I was surprised to hear, and I haven't studied it anymore, but I was surprised to hear that synthetic fragrances can be safe. And I just feel like that's a whole universe that would take a long time to really understand. But she really dived deep into fragrance and worked with the environmental working group on creating her line. So I would feel comfortable buying one of hers, Henry Rose. Thank you. That's a great recommendation. Oh, Sophia, thank you so much for sharing your incredible story with us and your extensive knowledge. And to all of you who attended, thank you for joining us. You can stay in touch with Sophia by subscribing to her non-toxic living newsletter. Sophia, thank you again. And thank you all for being here. And I hope you have a great afternoon. Have a great afternoon. Thank you.